Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster, the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors and a managing partner at Invader Comics. Well, we are back, people. Um, as far as you guys know, we never left. That is, that, is, that is due to our massive skill, immeasurable skill. In covering that time by working a little bit ahead for these last couple episodes. Now we can tell you inside baseball. We weren't going to before. <laughs> Even right? though we do every episode. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we we do. But what we were doing was we were working ahead a little bit. Um, and the main reason was what we'll get to probably with my first thing. I don't know, Scott. We'll see. Um, I kind of, you know, it's going to be the dominant thing for sure with, with this episode. And it's going to be part of the title. But uh, But we'll get to that in a second. Did I cut you off? Were you going to say something? No, man, you're, you're good to go. Um, I guess you can cut me off with what you're drinking, though. What I am drinking. I don't know if I drank the first one of these, quote, on air or not, but I did buy these from Tavor, and this one is called F Cancer. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, uh, it's an IPA, and I guess it happens every year that this brewing company, who is a stellar beer out of Oregon, it appears. No, Silver Moon Brewing. Sorry. Silver Moon Brewing in Oregon. Every year they do this limited release, and the cans feature the names of people who have who we've lost to cancer. So uh, I, I saw this immediately pop up, and for obvious reasons, my dad died of cancer. I uh, Yeah, I grabbed a few. And it is a pretty good beer. It's a really good crushable IPA. It's 6%. And um, I like the fact that it is clear. It is not a hazy. I'm sort of off hazies. My stomach pays the price the next day on hazies and wheats. So, yeah, man, it's nice and drinkable. But I am drinking with a little bit of a strategy here. I wanted something that hit a little bit less. Because at some point during this podcast, I plan on going down to get some, uh, some well, not ice, but whiskey stones. Because I'm going to bust open this bad boy. Uh, Shield Dog. Shield Dog Single Malt Scotch. Okay. Um, I I went to Scotland. I will be talking about Scotland a lot. Everything will orbit around my trip to Scotland, which I got back from about three or four days ago. And so what I'm doing is we're going to see how hard in the pain I go. If I feel good by the end of this beer, I'm going to knock back some scotch afterwards. Right on, man. Yeah, maybe I'll join you then. I'll see. I'll see what's up. Um, yeah. I am having Golden State Cider. It is 100% fresh pressed West Coast apples with champagne yeast. It is uh, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, no added sugars or concentrates. It is mighty dry, 6.3% ABV. That is, man, that is hard for a cider. Right? And, and it's kind of a weird percentage, 6.3, 6. 6.5, you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, yeah. But honestly, it tastes like, uh, I don't know, seltzer apple juice. So I'm okay. not mad at it. It's pretty refreshing. Yeah. Hey, man. I mean, it is summer. It is the hot months. Um, and, uh, and yeah, man. So I think we're doing appropriate hot months stuff. Indeed. All right, my friend, that brings us to the first thing you did for the week. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's almost, I, th- I feel like Scott, we both have to preface the main thing we did, which is going to be this episode title, um, which is you're probably going to talk a whole lot about a certain thing and all your things will probably revolve around that. And all the things for me are going to revolve around the fact that I did take a wonderful trip to Scotland. So, I've I've taken some notes here so that I can break these things all up and just have them all orbit around Scotland. But before I get to that, including bringing the bullshit, which is a special Scotland edition um, of bringing the bullshit, 
when it comes to the trip itself, it was fantastic. It was legitimately, first of all, Scotland is amazing. If anyone out there is considering Scotland, uh, jump it up your list. If you're not considering Scotland and you have the means, put it on your list. It is amazing. Um, We ended up bouncing a few different places in Scotland. We were in Edinburgh a few different times as we went back and forth to both the Highlands for for our first couple days. And then after another one day stay in Edinburgh, we went to Isle of Skye, which is the magical, green, lush, less inhabited part of Scotland on the west side. It was amazing. There are so many cool pictures that I took um, and, and experiences that I had and just incredibleness that I lived. But more importantly, man, it was a vacation from Keith Foster. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I didn't go there with any agenda to do anything. I ended up doing some stuff because we're going to get to that with what I did this week. But a lot of it just sort of happened because it happened, you know. And um, But I cannot recommend Isle of Skye enough. I think, I think a big overused word these last couple of years is magical. People talk about stuff being magical. Isle of Skye was magical. That is the only place I've ever been in my life where I'm like, this is a magical place. Um, there's a place there called the Fairy Glen where you feel like you're in like Midsummer Night's Dream or something like that once you're inside it. Or that there, there's just going to be a court of fairies that show up when, when the dusk settles in, which happens to be around midnight at this time of year in Scotland. So, so many awesome things about it. I am really, really boiling it down. But, uh, man, it was just killer, and I expect that I'll leak out a bunch of stuff through it. So that's that's the thing that, that prefaces this first thing, because I didn't touch my novel by design. I didn't think about a comic by design. What I did was I put a few books in the suitcase, and I decided that what I was going to do, which is my first substantial thing this last week, really week plus, because we are, you know, we created a buffer so that we could take a, a week off, basically, and live. And so now we're catching up with that. It was journaling. So what I did was I kept a journal. Um, I believe by the end of the Scotland trip, I'm pr- it was probably about 18 to 20 pages in my journal, something like that, maybe even a little bit more. And uh, it was nothing more than just writing down the stuff for the day. You know, it was the things I did, the places I saw, some thoughts I had uh, along with it. I may still go back and do a postscript in terms of some other things about the journal, but... You know, it was mainly just capturing those things because we all know how this works. If you don't capture the details, you don't remember the details in a lot of cases, or you don't, you're not able to just conjure up the details easily. So I like it as a way of just getting all this stuff down, all this detailed stuff in the moment. So I took notes on every cool thing I did Isle of Sky. Um, I went on a Harry Potter tour, which was very cool. Uh, I've never mentioned it before on the podcast, but I'm a I'm a decent sized Harry Potter fan. I read every book from three on, and obviously saw all the movies. And uh, yeah, man, big just a big fan of it. And uh, J.K. Rowling is a is a true hero when it comes to Scotland. You know, she is Scottish through and through. Edinburgh was the basis of a lot of Harry Potter things, and there's a tour where you can walk through and see all that inspiration. So as somebody who writes, I th- I thought it was cool. You know, like. Like she'd sit in this pub and look in these places and uh, and go walk these things, and that would give her little bits of inspiration here and there. So it's it's always cool to see that. Um, I mean, I would go on those kind of tours for like forty people who write. You know, if somebody said there was a Frank Miller New York tour for like Daredevil and Batman or whatever, man, I would go on that in five fucking seconds. You know what <laughs> I mean? So 
And the same equivalent for for all these other writers that I admire and like and just really appreciate the work of. So, yeah, man, lots of journals from Isla Skye to to the castles to Harry Potter. Um, I wrote down some some fun dialogue. Uh, Should I share it? Should I share my favorite bit of dialogue? I feel like that's appropriate. Yeah, man, let's do it. Okay, so I'm in this place called, let me think about this. It's called Luss. And it is on a lock. I believe the lock is Loch Lomond. Uh, Luss, for people that know their Southern California, um, is a lot. It was like Lake Arrowhead, but better. In fact, the entire Isle of Skye was basically like Lake Arrowhead, but better. It was these amazing vistas of gorgeous lakes surrounded by very tall hills that are basically mountains. A lot of them are over 2,000, 3,000 feet. So it's just this awesome, green, rolling terrain with just lakes, a.k.a. locks, everywhere. And uh, Luss was one of the first places we stopped on this tour. And Luss, so we're out there and um, we get out of the bus. You know, it was fun to take a trip by bus. It was fun to have somebody else drive, especially after the couple days I drove um, in UK roads on the on the other side of the road with the driver on the other side of the car. Rachel and I fucked that up numerous times where like one person <laughs> would drive. And then and then it was basically a game of who fucks up and thinks that the passenger the driver's side is the passenger side. So like there was a time where Rachel's just standing there at the American passenger side, but the U.S. driver side or UK driver's side. And like, she's just there. And like, I just stare at her and, and, and like, I just stared at her for like five seconds and she was like, Oh shit, I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> like that kind of thing. I did it six times myself where like, and then they'd be like, Keith, other side, like, Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I fucked it up a lot more as a passenger than I did as a driver. But anyway, it was great to have uh, somebody else drive and you just get these stops in places and you go do stuff. You buy coffee, you buy whiskey, you go see the sites, you do whatever. So this place called Luss um, on Loch Lomond. So wait, so you're in Scotland. So isn't it scotch? Yeah, it is. Did I say whiskey? You did. Yes. Scotch is scotch is. I mean, okay. Fun, fun fact that probably everybody knows, but bourbon. I don't think everyone knows this. Okay, so. What is the difference between scotch and whiskey? Nothing. Scotch is whiskey that was made in Scotland. That's why Mm -hmm. it's called scotch. It's kind of like champagne. Why do we call champagne champagne? Because it's sparkling wine from the champagne region of France, from France. So if it's not from France, you can't call it champagne. If whiskey is not from Scotland, you can't call it scotch. And if whiskey is not from Kentucky, you can't call it bourbon. That's the only goddamn difference, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I interchangeably will refer to it as scotch and whiskey because it is scotch whiskey. So good, good, good looking out on that. Cause, yeah. yeah, fun fact for everyone out there who didn't know that. I honestly didn't know that until I think my early 30s. I didn't know mm-hmm. the difference. I was like, okay, so what's the difference? Because I can't taste a difference. And they're like, there is none. It's just where it was made. So It's just where it was made. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so this is a little thing Boogie Down Productions likes to call edutainment. We are educating you and, <laughs> and we are entertaining you. I like uh, that. So, so yeah. Um, anyway, um, so we get off the bus and I decide I want a coffee. So I, I, I know that there's one in the, in the little town along the lake and I say I'll catch up with my family. So I go in there and, and I'm like, I don't really want a coffee coffee. Plus, you can't get drip coffee in the UK. You can get lattes and mochas and all that shit. But really, only North America does drip coffee. Interesting. So... 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, same thing. Fun fact, right? Like, what they call coffee over there is essentially espresso. You just get it in a small cup. Okay. Although, random random thing about Scotland, um, you know how, like, every hotel in this country has the ability, in the United States, has the ability for you to, like, make coffee and stuff like that, right? And you, you'll have a little percolator in your room or a little you know, whatever thing, maybe a K cup in the fancy places, maybe something a little less fancy elsewhere in Scotland. The instant coffee there is all stir in instant coffee. They actually, they do not percolate. So it's, it's that Nescafe shit where you pour it in and tell you what, man, by three days in, I was just like, if that's the only coffee there is, I'm good for it. You know, but, but then on our way back, we had uh, the first night we stayed overnight in uh, our layover got fucked up so bad that we actually had to stay a night in Toronto. And when we did, we woke up the next morning. We had like a complimentary breakfast. And it was so great to just get drip fucking coffee again. I was just like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Canada and United States for being you, <laughs> you know. But um, but anyway, so back to Loch Lomond, the story that's never going to end. I decided that I'm going to get a mocha. So basically an espresso that has some chocolate shit going on. And the woman... Uh, behind the counter she says do you want cream and maybe it was jet lag maybe my my brain just froze and i was like cream and she said yeah cream you know like we're gonna put it on the top that kind of thing and i think i said something like i'm not sure and at that moment this guy who was like you know decked out and like he he was clearly a bicyclist he had like the spandex on and something like that and so he he obviously walks in as he's overhearing this cream conversation and he says why not after all when in scotland have a heart attack. <laughs> so that became like a, a catchphrase for the family. It was basically the Scotland version of YOLO. You know what I mean? When it came right. to eating or drinking. Hey, why not? When in Scotland, have a heart attack. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one. But, uh, but anyway, so wonderful trip. I journaled a whole lot. And we'll sort of get to why I was journaling when we get to my second thing. But uh, for now, that's that's a great start. So how about you, man? What was your first thing? Well, mine's a bit of a flashback uh, just just for me during the week because this was the week prior. So we actually did take a week, a week off from recording because you were already on your trip. Um, but I got a bit of things done before San Diego Comic-Con. So that's my big, that's my Scotland for this episode. It's going to be mm-hmm. all San Diego Comic-Con related uh, in one way or another, minus one other thing. But I had to flat the cover to Second Shift Volume 2. I got that sent over to Joaquin. I was like, dude, I need this by Monday. And, um, you know, actually requested to get it done before the weekend. But he's like, I'm too swamped. I can get it to you Monday. Luckily, I talked to my printer. And I was like, look, can I get you the guts? And then I'll send you the cover and back cover on Monday. And he was good with it. Because I just needed to get him to ship it out by Tuesday in order for me to get it by Wednesday. He's only in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I'm in I'm in California. It's about a day turnaround, really. A day, maybe two. Um, so that was the plan. Joaquin got me the cover right away. I was able to, uh, like noon, I got, he got it to me by noon. I was able to send it over to my printer by 1.30 because there was an adjustment and I had to wait for him to get, get it back to me. Um, so I got it to him by 1.30 and the hopes was he was just going to pop and play, essentially. Uh, Put it into whatever machine he uses, get them printed out, have them binded, and then send it out to the to FedEx by the end of the day. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I got a text at night, uh, Monday night, saying, I'm working on them now. So I was just like, oh, okay. And so Tuesday rolls around. They're not done. He sends it out by midday Tuesday, which 
it's not a huge issue because they did end up getting to me Thursday. So, but because of that slight delay, that half a, half a day, um, it pushes it back. If I get the trade paperbacks uh, Wednesday for preview night, or if I get them Thursday midday, or, or doesn't matter what time on Thursday because I'm already at the convention. So mm-hmm. as soon as they come in, it's just like, okay, cool. We'll have them for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, yeah. Not that big of a deal. I still have the single issue sets. So it's just like, okay, not a problem. I'll just focus on my normal bundle pack that I do. And uh, it'll be right as rain tomorrow. And that was the case. So um, I got them in. Like or as soon as I came home, my girlfriend already sent me a picture that they came in. And man, his trade paperbacks look really, really good. Nice. I was, yeah, I was a little concerned. Um, you know, not that he he has subpar quality work or anything. Like his comics look like comics. They're they're excellent. Um, but he was new to trade paperbacks. It wasn't something he was doing. I think before um, like November. I think he just started it like within the last six months or so. And, uh, man, the quality is really nice. I really liked the binding. I, I liked everything about it. I was like, these are super solid. So um, he sent me a small amount, uh, which I sold out through uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, and that was super cool. So I was glad I got them. And, uh, honestly, it just sets me up for future conventions like uh, Emerald City coming up in August. So oh, yeah. uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah. And hey, when this airs, we are a hell of a lot closer to Emerald City than you think. That's right. Like, this is this is going to air on August 8th, just to give you an idea. And like 10 days from August 8th, Emerald City is underway. So, hey, the usual thing. You better watch out, Pacific Northwest, because Scott Lost and Keith Foster are coming to break chairs over your goddamn head and buy our books. So anyway, brother. Um, brother. So, um, but couple things that that i was thinking of number one um for people that haven't done it right for creators out there that haven't done it if 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 preparations for a normally timed trade paperback are are a one okay like in other words 100 percent of one what what was this like in terms of the extra level of coordination if if you know if, if usually the strength is just a one or a 100 how much harder was it to do everything and do it on such a compressed timeline? You know what's so bizarre, man? I just find myself in these situations more often than not. And even though, like, I'm someone that's very prepared and I'm always working and pushing towards a goal, it just so happens a lot of times it's down to the wire. So Mm -hmm. it's strange that I was able to get the PDF for the second volume put together as fast as I did, the cover drawn and colored as fast as I did, and then cover prepped and all of that, then printed and then sent to me. So it honestly, in if you count start to finish, I think it was five days that I Mm -hmm. got all of this done. So you know, it, it's it's that old saying. It's like you want something done, give it to a busy man, and yeah. and and that's what this has shown me. It's just like okay, just put my back up against the wall a little bit, and I'll get the shit done. And um, honestly, using that mindset as much as I can, it's really just getting me to push more and more work done. And I have mm-hmm. something else I'm going to talk about, and uh, I'm I'm excited about that. But that's going to be my my second or third thing, depending. So um, okay. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't bad. I would say so. It wasn't it wasn't any harder. It was basically the same level of difficulty. It is this. It was the same exact level of difficulty okay. that I'm used to working under. It's so bizarre. Like when you do these kickstarters, as as much as uh, you and I do, you find that you run into things that maybe you weren't necessarily prepared for, but because you've done it so often, you're kind of prepared for it in a way. Yeah, it's just like okay, of course something's got to go wrong because ne- 
nothing ever goes according to plan, you know, or most things don't go according to plan. It's just like you never get from A to Z without a S S one and an S two. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's always yeah. this little slight turnoff where you had to go down a road that you didn't think you were going to have to go down. But um, yeah. surprisingly enough, this came off more or less without a hitch. I kind of prepared myself for certain things like, um, shout out to Ian and Cabo. Ian was helping me out with this PDF, putting it together. Um, he put the, together the PDF of the first trade. So I was like, hey, man, I don't know if you still got the format of that other one. I don't know if you have the time. Do you think you could help me out with this? And he was able to. And, um, you know, some I like to prepare for any kind of occurrence, you know. So Ian wants a deadline. And I'm like, I'm going to prepare even further for that deadline. So I talked to my printer. He said, get me the guts by Saturday. You can get me everything by Saturday. So with Ian, I was like, I want to prepare for the worst. So I told him Friday. Mm -hmm. And then he got me all of the stuff Friday night at like 11.30, 11.45. So it's just like, okay, I'm glad that I told him Friday because it still got done at the end of the day. You know, so it's, it's just like, and then I was able to send him, as soon as I checked everything over, looked over, see if there was any errors, anything like that. I was like, okay, it's good to go. I've looked over this thing like how many times, so let me just send it to the printer and it was good to go. So I got the printer everything by Friday night. So nice. you kind of got to, you know, when you're working with people, it's okay to fib a little bit. You know, if like you want to make sure you hit your own deadlines and yes. you don't want it to be someone else's fault. Well, it's your fault if you don't prepare ahead. So yeah. it's just like, okay, there might be a snafu. Something might happen with this person you're working with. You never know what's going to go on. So I, I like to prepare for that. And so even though I have an extra day or a half of a day, it's like, well, here's my deadline for you. This is my deadline with my printer, but here's my deadline for you. And it worked out. Yeah. Funny, funny thing. I've worked with one other creator who was so aware of print deadlines that they knew exactly how long they could take and I couldn't lie to them. And that was rough because like, I like doing that too. I like being like, Hey, I put buffer in and like this person knew so much about all the process that they were like, come on, man, you know, you don't need it by then you need it by whatever. And I'm thinking, and of course I can't say, but what I want is to hedge against you waiting till the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Although I think I did say that eventually on it. So right. yeah, man, like if they're going to call you on your your shit, if they're going to look, yeah. you know you really need it by this time. It's like, yeah, but also I don't know what your schedule's like and I don't know if something's yeah. going to come up. So exactly. I like to be prepared ahead of time. You know, it's just exactly. like, if you want to call, call me on my bullshit, I'm going to call you on your bullshit. I'm going to call you on yours. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. And again, that's obviously the kind of thing you do when you know somebody pretty well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, cool, man. I mean, look just based on this episode title, this is probably going to be one of our lower listenership things because, you know, when we talk about specific art and writing stuff, the numbers are a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then if you want to make the numbers even a touch lower, talk about this meat, the, the gear grinding of making indie comics. But again, <laughs> right. it is important, right? Like ordering your books on time is important. Being a project manager of your own project is important. You right. can't just you can't just sit there and be the cool creator that can sit there and draw and be a rock star. You got to get through all this stuff. You don't have a production department. You are the production department. Right. Yeah. And and a lot of us are artists. Artists in nature are a little eh, flighty. I don't know. Like mm -hmm. a little wanderlust. You kind of just like 
do your own shit. You're kind of you're an artist. You're you're flo- yeah. floating about. You're doing your thing. You know who's I'm a deadline? creative motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm an artist. Exactly. I don't have deadlines. You have deadlines. But exactly. um, it's like yeah, I do have deadlines. <laughs> That's why I need you to get them to me on time. Um, so yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. And we're look, we're all artists by nature, but only a select few of us can be naughty by nature. That's important. <laughs> I may have even said that on one of the previous 89 episodes. I'm not sure, but it's worth coming back to every now and then. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and also like, uh, you know, listenership, uh, you know, obviously we want it, but you know, we got to talk about this stuff. Like you said, this stuff's important. You got to, you guys got to hear this. It's not as glamorous as the drawing and writing uh, portions of this podcast normally are, but it's part of the process of making comics. Totally. Totally. And hey, yeah, we, we have some weeks where it's all it's all just grinding gears, you know, or or one of us takes a vacation and uh, and the vacation is the part that matters. So. Um, so, yeah, speaking of that, um, back to my vacation for my second thing I did this week, this really ties into like the journaling was something I did just to keep my brain active. But one of the reasons I was so keen on Scotland was that um, Scotland. Well, OK, so. Going, you know, when I first booked this trip, when we first booked this trip, I wasn't 100% sure that Scotland was going to serve a role in my second novel. But now I am sure Scotland is going to serve a role in my second novel. So this was one of those cases where the goal was just to journal and absorb the surroundings because without giving away anything for my first novel, I also took a trip to that location. But the difference was I took that trip two years into writing that novel because I hadn't been there, but I knew it well through research, but I wanted to go there. I wanted to put my foot on the fucking ground. I wanted to breathe that air. I wanted to know exactly what it was like when I was doing that novel. In this case, because the trip is happening before I've even started writing it, um, it's a little bit different. It's more of like just breathe the air, absorb everything, write everything. You never know what thing is going to matter. You know, so I had no intention of writing anything. Um, But for the second novel, I do generally know my main characters. I know my main plot points, my very high level plot points. Um, And I know the general arc of the story. But what was cool was by inhabiting the scenery, by being there, by just listening to people talk and having all this stuff happen. Seven days into the trip, something like that. I I had the compulsive need to jot down notes on like, oh, this is how these things can connect. And all of a sudden, you know, a, a, a laundry list of, of potential plot points and rough ideas on three characters and all the research I've been doing just for fun all came together into like some specific things. So I'm not done, but it was pretty cool that just by inhabiting this place, I was able to make some connections and really have the the net draw tighter around what I want this second novel to be. Um, so, you know, again, I'm in this holding pattern with my first novel. I'm waiting to hear back from my mentor still on pages 61 through 100. I'm waiting to hear back from Mike on the full read. Just yesterday was the first day where I actually opened it up again and just started like line editing. But that's all I really feel like doing right now. I really just feel like opening the novel and I did it today too. I just opened it and made sure the sentences sounded good, 
you know, that was it. And same thing. I'll keep on doing that until I hear back from the two people that I want to hear back from because they're going to let me know if there's any big picture direction I need to do or if I can just take a final 10, 15 days, clean up this novel and get it ready for agents. So we will see. But but what better way to not think about the first novel than move on to the second novel and start thinking about that. So, yeah, I didn't expect to really synthesize some things but hey I was in the setting I was going to all these cool places seeing all these cool things and what do you know things crystallized and all of a sudden I have a much better idea what my second novel is because now by going here I was able to combine my research with and my characters with a setting that I was able to be in and inhabit and just understand that much better that's awesome, man. Yeah, I, the fact that you like to go to these destinations before you write about them, it's just like, it's another level of creating. You know, it's just like, yeah, you can do your research online as much as you want, but until you live it, it's um, it's a little different. And, you know, who knows, it might ring false to the people that live there. But if you actually go there, like you said, breathe the, breathe the air, have those experiences with people, the locals, um, it rings more true when you're reading it. Yeah, absolutely, man. So yeah, again, that's legwork for a novel that I haven't really started. I mean, I, I did like 60, 70 pages of character writing and setting writing and stuff, but oh, wow. there'll be a time when I come to it soon, you know? Um, and if anything, this trip has really accelerated my, de- it's amped up my desire to get to it, but it's like, no, 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 Keith, you know, like, like just yesterday I was like, I think I want to work on the second novel, but no, you haven't done sh- your first novel isn't published. So why don't you work on that first fucking novel guy yeah. <laughs> instead of jumping ahead to the second novel. So that's good though. My desire to work on the second novel is going to is going to um, empower me to finish the first novel and make it great so that I can get to the thing that I, I find a little bit more interesting right now, right? Which is novel number two. Do you, so when you journal, is it strictly uh, writing in a book or do you ever do like audio notes? Yeah, that's a good question. So what I, what I like to do, I don't like audio notes. But what I do is when I go on a lot of these tours or when people say anything, I use an app called Evernote. So basically just a notes function. I like Evernote. Um, not, not you know, free plug. They don't sponsor shit. But uh, you can get you a could. really nice. Yeah, you could. Dear Evernote people, I love you. Let's talk. Um, you, can, you can do all kinds of cool things in Evernote. And, uh, and it's a great note-taking app. So... What I'll do is as people are talking or I or I get a cool thought, I just quick flip open Evernote on my phone. I jot that down. And then in the case of this, um, I then would take time at the end of the day or in the morning when other people are getting ready or whatever. And I would just transcribe that into my physical moleskin journal. And uh, and yeah, by, you know, I, I started way behind, but I ended up catching up by about day six or seven. And then I would just journal and, and you know, write the notes of the day and and go from there. So, yeah, man, it, 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 a lot of times it starts with like digital note taking in the phone um, without voice notes. And then I will turn that into pen on paper. Right on. Yeah, I think Ed actually works a little backwards from that. I think he always has a spiral binder on him and uh, or a legal pad. And, uh, yeah, you know, cause I'll ask him, Hey, you know, do you have the script for this or whatever? And he just takes pictures of yellow legal paper and sends it to me. And I nice. say, Ed, that doesn't help me. 
I need you to send me <laughs> computer yeah. files so I can copy and paste, you know, the dialogue into. Yeah, exactly. The, That's not know, a fucking script. Yeah. Into <laughs> <laughs> Illustrator, you know, Ed's, Ed's old school like that. And uh, I love him for it. So it's it's just kind of cool. It's like a cool artifact, too, when he when he does do it. I'm like, sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I need I need the digital file. Um, yeah, <laughs> so my second thing is a couple weeks back, I was talking about getting a physical inker for the cover for Second Shift Volume 2. Um, with all of my covers, I like to have a physical copy, just in case, nay, when Second Shift does take off, I have physical copies of the cover, you know, potentially for resell in the future, or just to hold on to and go, hey, look, remember when I did this a long time ago? Um, I had talked about working with an inker that I found on a Facebook group, and uh, the stuff that he had posted up was tremendous. His line work was so clean, varied, everything, very professional. Um, when I did contact him, he let me know that he is a digital inker. So I was like, oh, man, I, I need someone that does physical work because of this very reason. And he said, oh, okay. You know, uh, a couple of hours go by. He recontacts me and goes, okay, well, do you have something? Because I, I can do it. And I said, okay. Um, so eventually when I got the cover to volume two done, I sent it over his way in blue line and the Photoshop file if he wanted to adjust the blue that I used. So that's something I've all covered before. Um, he had already started working on it like that very same day, and he was going to be done within a day or two. Uh, unfortunately, I got a scan in one morning, and it was unusable. Um, so what he said, the, he said he could do it, but I don't think he realized that it was it like the act of doing it and doing it to the profession that he had done. Those other pieces were two different things. Um, so he is true and true, a digital inker. He is not a physical inker. He cannot do that job, um, unfortunately. So he, it was a misrepresentation of his physical skill compared to his digital skill. And if you guys are going to use someone at like for, you know, one of those two works, make sure you see that work before you agree to the job. Um, at that point, I had already paid him half. So I had already agreed to this. Um, so it was my bad. I did not ask for physical work to, you know, just see how he does compared to how he, how he works digitally. And it was bad. It was so bad. And I just paid him the second half. I didn't say anything. I just sent him a screen cap that I had paid for the second half of the project and then um you know i was just going to kind of leave it at that and he had like a follow-up question and i was just like yeah man I, I downloaded it um you know this is a lot rougher than your your digital linking like by a lot and i'm like i don't think i'll be able to use this at all and uh you know there was some excuses made he said well your lines were really thin and you know i had to keep going back and forth to look at it and you know and it's just like okay well these are excuses because i gave him the photoshop file so if the blue that i had sent him was too light he can e he could have easily printed out a blue that he preferred and he could ink off of um mm -hmm. so just a lot of excuses on his end and i was about to type something in response and and then i just was like no I'm not. So I just yeah. didn't type anything. I just didn't respond at all. It's like, yeah. you got excuses. I, I paid you. I yeah. paid you. I paid you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. yeah and if uh, you want to make excuses for your lack of skill, then that's on you. Honestly, it looked totally. like, you know, when I sent him the piece, he said, this already looks inked. What do you, What would you like me to do? And 
you know, I was just like, well, this character is more in the foreground, so I kind of want you to pop him out. I want you to add some line weight, uh, some variation there. And, uh, you know, and I, and I pointed out a couple of lines that were um, a little wobbly on my end. And I said, hey, this line's a little wobbly. If you can clean that up. I'm like, you already know that, but I just wanted to point it out just in case. And um, he's like, yeah, I got it. I haven't started that part yet. And, uh, man, it looked like he inked everything with, like, the same nib. You know, mm -hmm. if you're using microns, there's different size tips you can use. Um, it looked like he inked everything with one pen. And um, there was no variation. It was really, really bad and really disappointing. Um, and then I got the thing in the mail, and I was like, yeah, you just you know, mailed me something that I can't use and it's just sitting right. here and I don't know what to do with it. And, you know, uh, I'm out that money, you know, I'm just like, wow, I feel really bad that I lost that money. Um, I have cover artists that I'm already working with that would do a whole cover for that same amount. And yeah. I basically just set it on fire. So, so that was a little upsetting, but, um, you know, learn from my stakes, people learn from my mistakes. I, I should have checked with his physical work first his traditional work uh, compared to his digitals but man if you see his, if you saw his digitals you'd be like this guy is an ace uh, yeah. but the difference is when you're working digitally you have the ability to erase you can redo a line if you don't like it and you mm -hmm. also kind of have like snap tools you can like do a stroke and if you hold it there it it will create a perfect curve in which yeah. you you had dragged so there's yeah. ways around uh, a shaky hand and unfortunately a lot of what i got on on the traditional piece was a lot of shaky hand so you did share that stuff with gary and i i think um just for the hell of it and yes. i think i think you're being too hard on yourself in a way like i should have asked for this i should have asked for that i should have asked for that i think the artist misrepresented himself 100 percent, he did but i'm yeah. just such a preparer that like yeah. i'm like i fucking should have known better because that's just who i am that's as hindsight, a person though yeah yeah yeah, that's hindsight twenty twenty. You know what I mean? You you didn't know that the 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 well, it was Cyberforce piece, right? The one that you sent, like that mm -hmm. thing was very good looking. It was it was high Immaculate. level Marvel DC image level shit. You know what I mean? And you're thinking you're getting it for a song, and this person misrepresented himself. You know, it reminds me of something. I can't remember if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but for some of Kadoja. I had the same problem. I, I believe it was actually the beginning of Kadoja Volume Three, um, the first the first issue specifically, and I had an inker who um, I did a sample page with him, and the sample page looked fantastic. Now, okay, I take that back. I had two stop start inkers for Volume Three. I had one person who was really really good. Like, really good. I And um, I liked what he did. But the problem was, there was like this three, four month period where I never heard from him. And I'm kind of like, how's the pages coming? And he was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm running into delays, blah, blah, blah. Slight problem. I followed him on Instagram. So what I saw was I saw, I heard those things when he sent me an email. But then I saw him at shows. I saw him doing commissions. And I saw him doing all of these other things. And it's kind of like, okay... You know, you're not being forthright with me. You, you're just prior deprioritizing this, and I am paying you, and the money's pretty good. So, at some point, I think I just said, you know what, man, I got to move on. So I move on, and I get a second inker, 
and the second inker, uh, I said, hey, uh, I want you to mirror this guy's style. So do that, please. And and let's do a demo page, right? Here's a good example of, a, of an ink, ink that I like. So he gives me the first couple pages. For those that really know Kadoja Volume 3, the beginning of Volume 3 is told in the 1800s, and it's dusky, the, you know, the environment there. And so those four pages looked excellent. But then after that, you go to the present day, and it's daytime. And all of a sudden, there was a substantial drop-off in page quality. Now, my dumbass still paid for about an issue and a half total of all this, sent it to Lance, and then Lance was like, this is subpar, man. And not only that, but something that I didn't know, but somebody like Lance would catch, he wasn't even using files in like a right resolution. He had basically botched some basic process stuff where like the resolution sucked. And there was nothing he could do. He had just finished it. So that one hurt, dude. You did it for one page. I did it for 30. I paid for 30 pages. And I ate every single one of them. And life goes on. Hey, charge it to the game. You you live and you learn. And and the one thing Lance told me out of that, which I sort of knew at the time, but you know, hey, you you get a lot of people telling you shit when you fuck up. He said, this is why I always ask to see an entire artist portfolio, because what I want to see is how good their mediocre pages are. If their mediocre pages aren't that good, then I'm not going to work with them because you need to know that their shit is still going to be good on like an off page or an off day or something that just doesn't pop. You know, in hindsight, it was clear that that person's four pages he did as a demo, he was just copying the guy who had done the good inks, but who just couldn't hit deadlines. So, hey, much like you, you live and you learn. If it's any consolation, I spent way more than that and ate it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so, but what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, there, there's that moment where I was like, fuck, I am really going to have to throw away all these pages. But you know what? You do it. And you just move on, and uh, Kadoja Volume 3 still got made. I found a better anchor, Francesca Fantini, and uh, I, I love the result. You know, that story uh, that Lance said, it reminds me of something I just heard on a podcast with Chris Stefano, and he was talking about him getting hired, I think for Leno or something like that, one of those late-night shows, and the uh, the producers or whoever whoever else goes out and scouts, essentially comedians, to be on those shows... Um, they watched him multiple times work this set over and over and over again. And it was, I think it was an agreed upon thing. It's like, hey, just so you know, we're scouting you. We're going to watch you for X amount of times or whatever. And so they watched him and he crushed and he crushed and he crushed multiple sets, multiple days, different days, different weekends. He would do the same set and he would kill it. He would never get booked. And then one weekend he failed. Like he, he, um, he stunk up the joint. He bombed hard. And um, he goes, oh, great. I, I bombed in front of front of the Leno people. I'm not getting this thing. His agent calls and goes, you got it. And then he's like, what the hell? I bombed. And um, he ended up asking him later. He saw him after the show or during the show. He goes, hey, you know, I stunk it up. Why would you guys book me? And, he, and they're like, we wanted to see how you would fail. If you would fail with grace, you've never been on TV. So if you bombed on TV, we wanted to know you wouldn't flip out. So it's like, it's not an exact one-to-one, but it kind of reminds totally. me. It's just like, oh, we've seen your killer pages, but let's see your mediocre ones when you're winding down, you're running out of steam. So totally. kind of funny. Totally. Hey, and, and hey, this this is, uh, we're on a nice little tangent here, but this brings up a story that I believe I've mentioned before, where when it came to Big Pimp Jones gigs around Philadelphia, 
I was I was re- over the years. I I always was surprised and continue to be surprised at the fact that for whatever reason, when a show was jam packed with people, it was a great show, right? We sold CDs, we rocked the house, people loved us. We did encores, we did whatever. It, I mean, these were you know bars or things slightly larger than bars, but it's a great feeling. Yet nothing would come of it. Nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you'd get another gig at the place because they were like, hey, great crowd, blah, blah, blah. But a crazy thing would happen on the nights where I played to four people, where we played to four people. A dope-ass gig would come out of it. And, like, it makes me wonder now if that's a little bit more than just a happy accident. If, if the, if, like, what you just said about this comedian, if if those kind of booking agents are sitting there watching you play to four fucking people four and how do you react right and if you're if you're a grouchy jerk then maybe nothing happens but like we were always professional we treated four people like 400 and uh and inevitably when we when we'd play these dumb shows it would be you know and the other guys in the band would be like man this sucks nobody came out for us it's like well we'll kick our friends asses later but we got we got a show to do right now and we would just be pros and we would do a dope ass set and good things almost always happen from those empty ass bars, man. It's just crazy the way that works. And now that you gave, gave me that story, it just makes me wonder if there was a little bit more than accidental logic to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that, that leads us to my third thing. And I only have three things. And hey, what a delight. This is something that's actually happened since I've returned from Scotland, which by the way, hey, jet lag's a thing, party people. On the first, on the first fucking night when we, um, I'm going to tell a stupid circuitous story for a second. So we had the one night layover in Toronto. Toronto is five hours behind Scotland. Okay, so we we go to an early dinner because I'm just like I think I think once we land, we land at like three o'clock, and we're like we should probably eat dinner now. And then I just said something to the whole family. It was my wife, my three kids, and my mother-in-law. I was like, if if we stay up till nine o'clock, it'll be a miracle. So we're, we have dinner, you know, the, the hotel had free drink, a free happy hour or something like that. We get back to our room at like seven. We get back to our room at seven. By 7.15, uh, Ava and Alyssa are down. By 7.30, Rachel's down. By a couple minutes later, my mother-in-law is down. And then I just decide to start kind of nodding off. And then I proceeded to turn that into an evening of sleep by 7.45, <laughs> right? So <laughs> so uh, Eden Eden was the pro and stayed up till nine before she went to sleep. But she had like some schoolwork to do because she's taking this class in the summer. So flash forward, then we, we're, we're home in LA the next night. And I think we managed to somehow make it to like nine o'clock, right? First morning back in LA... I wake up at 3.30, just spring, I am fucking awake, son. And uh, it was crazy. It was crazy because I'm just... I, Did I, you I'm, go play I'm a like, round of golf since you were up? <laughs> so the fucking thing was nothing was open. Not even, dude, not even Starbucks were open. So uh, what I did was I milled around. I mean, I laid in bed for a little bit, but I was awake. And then I got out of bed at like four. And then I milled around a little bit more and I'm like, man somebody's got to have coffee right now. Like one of these Starbucks around me. 
And so I screwed around a little bit more, and then I just said, fuck it. I'm going to park outside the Starbucks. So uh, I arrive at that Starbucks at like 442, and then I just proceeded to like catch up on emails and stuff for 18 minutes, and then was basically standing there when the person opened the Starbucks for me at 5 a.m. They what hated a, you so much. What a surreal... Well, they're, they're probably like, oh, you just flew in, you know? But I think plenty of people, plenty... I mean, a dude walked in two minutes after me. Oh, okay. So, yeah, man, it, it wasn't like I was the only one, you know. But uh, anyway, and then the next morning, which was, I guess, yesterday, that was another 3.30. And then today, I think, was I was a little bit more normal and woke up at like 5.20 or something oh, like okay. that. There so I'm, I'm working my way back. But, man, how crazy. How crazy. But um, so some shit's gone down in these last couple of days since I've been back from Scotland. And it all happened pretty fast. But I have a new artist for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two. Oh, what happened to the other guy? So what happened to the other guy, again, I think I've mentioned these couple things in like passing on the podcast, but basically the person took the work and the person was like, yeah, 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 I can do that. So this was maybe in like April and they wanted the script by May 15th. I wasn't because they had an opening in their schedule. I wasn't able to get it to him by May 15th because I had some conflicts come up on my own. Probably my dad's health, given the timing. Um so in the meantime, by the time I got in the script a week later, he was like, sorry, you know, I, I do have some stuff now, so I'll get to it in June, but I'm ready to go. So I'm like, okay, no problem. I wait till about two or three weeks in June. I send a note like, hey, how's it going? Uh, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get to it in a week or two. And just so you know, I do four projects at once. So, you know, it's not like this comic's going to be done in two or three months it's going to be done much longer than that because I can probably... And I'm like... And, and what, what... As the project manager, what really frustrated me was the person would never commit to anything. It would be like, mm. so what are you going to do? Like four pages a month? Oh, I'm not sure. Work could come in, you know, because I do freelance work too. It's, it's like, know? this is freelance work, asshole. Yeah, this, this, this is free... By the way, this is freelance work and I pay and I pay on time. I pride myself on it, you know? So, but I'm like, no big deal. I'm not in any kind of hurry. You know what I mean? Like, not a big deal. But then um, I come back from the... And, and I think I ask one more... No, I think I just let it go. Because I was like, oh, I'll just ask when I come back from the trip. And I come back from the trip. And I'm like, man, I have not heard from this guy. Like, the impetus of communication should not be on me. And I have not heard from this person. And if the initial timeline of December was still going to hold... If I had confidence in that, I wouldn't feel that bad. But I mean, if I haven't heard from the person now, when am I going to hear from the person? The other thing that ties in there is I think I've talked about my unofficial rule for Kickstarters, which is generally I don't like kickstarting an issue unless work is underway for the next issue. That's all I want to know. I just want to know work is underway. And I finished the script. And when I did that Kadoja Kickstarter for Symphony of Madness number one, my assumption was work would be underway soon on number two. And now here we are two months later and it still hasn't happened. So I hit up Mike Perkins. I'm like, hey, man, you know, let me know who you know. And the cool thing is we've got a pretty great network of artists now at Invader. And basically within a fucking day and a half of, you know, me talking to Mike about it, I'm already like, I got a great vibe with the artist who's going to do issue two. He's finishing up a project and it'll get started in like a week or two. And he's champing at the bit to get going. You know what I mean? So I'm excited you know, I mean, it's just these subtle differences, man. You know, like for the people out there listening that are doing freelance work, professionalism matters, okay? Absolutely. Being responsive matters. And 
I can't tell you how night and day, I mean, you don't even have to have me tell you, okay? Artist A did not ever send me a note without me sending him a note first. And then it was always, oh, I'm getting to work on it soon. There was never a commitment to dates. There was never anything. Artist number two, when I sent the exploratory email out, like, hey, you know Mike, I know Mike, we're boys, you're boys, you know, like, I think you'd be a great fit. Fucking 30 minutes later, the guy responds, okay? You can't get more night and day than that. You know, if anything, like, the delays have been on my end because I've actually gotten an email in, like, the evening and responded in the morning. You know, that kind of thing. Like, this guy has been super responsive. So, you know, you don't expect everybody to be that responsive, but you do expect people to respond to your questions. This is freelance work, too. (laughs) You know, like, you agreed to do freelance work, and now all of a sudden I get all these things on, like, oh, by the way, here's how I do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, and one of my favorite things when I think about stuff in life, I always like reversing it. And like, what if I told him, well, the thing is, I don't pay you until six months after the work is done. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, well, do, so do I get to change the rules? Because if I don't get to change the rules, then you don't either. You know, so right. mm-hmm. again, it's it's professionalism. It's presenting yourself in a certain way. And it's being upfront with your communication. So anyway. I didn't expect that to turn into sort of like a tangential um, like lesson, but it is a helpful thing to mention to all the people out there that are hustling for work, right? Like your professionalism matters. It is a key thing. And uh, and because of, among other things, that um, I have a new artist for Kadoja number two, and I'm excited. It sounds a little bit of a huckster thing that that guy's doing, like a little a snake oil salesman. He's working on four projects at once. And he can't give anyone, I'm sure it's not just you that he's giving this same pitch to. He's not just giving you this, oh, I can't really lock down how many pages I'm going to send you this month, but I'm going to go ahead and need to get paid up front. So it's just like, oh, is this how you get paid? Yeah, well, he didn't get paid up front. I didn't pay anything, right? Mm -hmm. But um, but, but I think think to, to, to justify it for him a little bit, a couple of his clients are known comic companies. But the more forthcoming way to say that would be this work is my piece on the side and it is always going to be a priority B if I get work from one of these couple companies that I do. Uh, Got it. Okay. Okay. So he wasn't forthcoming about that at the beginning. And I think that's that would have been a simple way to put it because then it might have put that seed of doubt in my head of like, well, what's my timeline for this? But to that point, you do need to commit to a timeline at some point, you know, as opposed to just I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. So anyway, yeah, and as a result, I'm, I have another artist now. Yeah. I don't know. He might just be used to these, these, uh, other creators that are trying to put books out, but they get to it at their own time. Like, I don't know how many people I've known that have been working on one project for a very long period of time. And they're working with someone else and that person, the writer or, and creator, they're okay with the delays. Because they're yeah. just like, we just want it to be the best possible. And they're kind of okay with the delays. Whereas, you know, you and I, it would be unacceptable. It's like, dude, we totally. need this because we have actual deadlines. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, again, we're, we're trying to be, we're trying to be professionals here. Right. Right. And, you know, some, something I like to think about is that as indie creators, we do not measure ourselves against Marvel and DC and Image and Dark Horse. Okay. We're, we're in another universe. But. 
we should try to mirror the professionalism of those four companies or the Absolutely. other companies that are on their level. You know what I mean? Like, we're not here to measure against them, but we do want to set our performance standard against them. You know, if you're in a band, you don't want to pick some average band to compare yourself against. You want to pick the best band possible in your genre and make that the thing you measure yourself against. So, right. again, that that's that's how it goes. You're not You're not comparing yourselves against them. But you are in a way. You're comparing your professionalism. You're comparing your art style. You're comparing whatever, even though you're never going to compete against them. Right? The thing we're not competing with or comparing against is their output. You know, it's just like, yeah, they have artists um, and, you know, they have people on their staff that this is their full time gig and they're doing it nonstop. So it has to get out every month. So, you know, corners are getting cut or, or it's just the thing that's getting focused on. And that's not what we're doing here. We're creating indie comics and we're getting them out at a decent clip for indie comics. You know, like you and I, we have a decent chunk of books out there for indie creators. You know, it's just like, OK, I have 12 issues of Second Shift, three issues of Wanderers, uh, three anthologies out there so it's just like there's plenty of work that's been put out uh, mm -hmm. compared to people that i know like other indie creators that i know i'm in the top percentile of people who have stuff out there like how much yeah. stuff we have out there exactly um, exactly was that it for your second that that was it for my third yeah but if oh, you third. have whatever you have you should glum, glum, um throw it all together okay um so i have i have two more things um, number one, I was hustling hard to get these prints done for San Diego Comic-Con. And it was kind of, it's so funny that this happens. So like I'm hustling cause it's like, okay, Thor, Love and, Love and Thunder comes out. It's like, all right, Jane Foster, Thor, Gore. Those are like no brainers. Let's put those out there. Have them on time for San Diego. And honestly, the thing that was focused, like I did not sell one of those. I sold other prints and mm -hmm. like I sold a, a, an okay amount of prints, but we were in small press. Things that people were buying in small press were indie books. We were, we were yeah. getting a nice little side income on, on the prints, but it was like, I put all this work in to get those out, and those weren't even ones that sold. I think it's the mixed reviews of Thor, uh, yeah. Love and Thunder, that's out there. I think, you know, like a guy had a Love and Thunder shirt on when he was visiting the booth, and I was like, oh yeah, man, I just finished these pieces for this, and he goes, yeah, he goes, I got the shirt on, but I'm gonna tell you, I actually didn't like the movie very much. <laughs> and then so we started talking about it. Turns out the guy just didn't like anything. He thought yeah, Ragnarok yeah. sucked, he thought Doctor Strange 2 sucked and I'm just like yeah. alright I think we need to stop having conversations then yeah um, <laughs> yeah I but, mean uh, okay so look gore the fucking god butcher that's all I need to say like yeah I mean we're not spoiling shit you know like Christian Bale is awesome as gore the god butcher gore the god butcher is an awesome character yes we have more thoughts but we're just going to keep it there in case people haven't seen it you know right yeah, so there, Plus, you know, there's mixed reviews out there. So if you yeah, guys have read any reviews online, you're no, you know, it's mixed, and and that's pretty much yeah. how we'll how much we'll totally. go into that. Yeah, uh -oh. yeah. Um, that was number, thing number three. Yeah, that was just partial. Um, so the San Diego Comic Con itself, I haven't really talked about the show. So we did really good business for having a down attendance. So for those that don't know, when San Diego Comic Con 2020 was rolled out initially, everyone got their tickets vendors and attendees alike um when it was canceled san diego comic con said do you want it rolled over or do you want your money back um the vendors that didn't want back i'm sure those vendor sales those those tables were replenished i think it was probably put out there when they finally came back to 2020 they were like hey we got open spots but as far as i know from i heard from multiple people 
the attendees that requested their money back, those tickets were never resold. So I'm going to guess just by eyeballing, I would say a third of San Diego Comic-Con attendees were not there. Wow. So yeah, so we didn't, we underperformed slightly from 2019 but that's to be except, expected with the down attendance. So what I made personally from what I made in 2019, it was very, it was a very slim difference. It wasn't that mm -hmm. much of a difference. Nothing, yeah. nothing to complain about. Um, so I was really happy with the amount of books we sold. We sold a good chunk of change um, as far as our books go. Like I sold a lot of sets. Uh, people actually, there were actually people. So I had both trade paperbacks available. And so those two combined, they collect one through 10. I have a bundle pack that I do. It's just like, okay, you can get both trades and issues 11 and 12 and you'll be caught up. You'll have everything. It's, you know, it's this amount. And then, or you can get the first trade and all 12, you know, singles and it'll be this much. Mm -hmm. Some people preferred the singles. I was actually surprised. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked out because I ended up selling out of the second trade paperback while I was there. It's it's going to be a limited run. There's actually something on the cover that I didn't have my colorist do. So, um, you know, I have it posted online, I believe. You'll see that two of the villains on the cover are kind of like in a power mode and um, they're not using their powers. I forgot to tell Joaquin to add their power effect there. So oh, okay. when I do the Kickstarter larger version of this, the cover is going to be slightly different. So okay. um, yeah, I was telling people at the show, I was like, look, this is actually going to be a variant. It's limited print. And uh, you know, I think that might've either helped or hurt sales. I'm not really quite sure. I was like, I, I told them straight up. I was like, I forgot to tell my colorist to do the powers. So it's just like some people like, oh, it was an error on your part. So some people saw it as a mistake and some people saw it as, oh, he's going to change the printing of this. This is going to be different from everyone else's. This is like a limited edition thing. So yeah. um, it, Blue, it was interesting. Blue Galactus, baby. That's yeah, what it is. Like Secret yeah, Wars so, number one. Yeah, so it's just like, okay, well, you know, you get to pick what it's going to be. But it, at the end of the day, it's going to be limited edition. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, anyway, we had some nice sales, uh, met some nice people. It was really great, man. It was a great show. It was strange in the sense that Wednesday, Wednesday was preview night and it was only okay. Like we described it as the longest three hours of our life. Yeah, <laughs> preview night is only open for three hours, but it was a slog. And I was like, man, I hope this is not an indication of what the rest of the con is. Um, Thursday was solid. We're like, okay, nothing to ride home about, nothing to complain about. Okay. Solid Thursday. Friday was gangbusters. It was nonstop. It was like we were making... We would tell them, hey, this is what these are what our books are about. We have these sets available if you want to do those or if you just want to pick up one, try it out. And then so we lay out basically all of the books that we have at the Accidental Aliens. And they're like, this sounds really cool. I'll take it. And it was that easy on Friday. It was mm -hmm. just like you pitch the book. They decide which one sounds good. And then they ended up buying it. Saturday was like pulling teeth. It mm. was the slowest day, if you don't count preview night. It was the slowest day. And it was the hardest to pitch people. Yeah. We would tell them about all the books and they would hem and haw and they'd say, okay, well, all right, maybe I'll come back, you know, or like, mm -hmm. oh, the, the very famous, oh, do you have a card? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I have a card I can put up your ass. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we actually, um, um, I told Travis, I was like, hey man, I tore some pieces of paper here. If they say they're going to come back, 
just write our booth booth number, the aisle we're at, hand them the piece of paper. I was like, yeah. I don't need them stealing five cents from me. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, so so that's kind of what it was. And then after a day Re- of that. Regarding episode 84 or whenever it was when we talked about that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we, yeah, we just, hit a, we just hit up that up. Yeah, so um, yeah, so Saturday was rough. Strangely enough, though, we ended up past the total we did Friday. It was just they made us work for every single dollar. Yeah, it felt um, harder. Sure, it it felt way harder. And then Sunday was back to being a breeze. It was yeah. one of those things where I think people didn't pace them. So people like took Thursday to kind of check stuff out. Friday they went ham. Saturday they realized they went ham, so they pulled it back. And then Sunday was the last day and they had all this money left over and they're like, okay, well now we can just buy everything. So I would, I would like to add an alternate theory to this. Okay. And I said alternate because um, I've had a beer and I'm almost done with my scotch, which I went, when Scott was doing his second thing, I went down to get, I didn't get ice. I got these things called whiskey stones. Are you familiar with them? I am. Yeah. So I, I, I bought whiskey stones when I was in Scotland. This is my first experience with whiskey stones and I'm not sure I love them. Um, they're cool, but the thing is, I kind of like the idea of like ice melting in, I like my scotch on the rocks generally. And I like when the ice melts, cause then you've got like whiskey and water. It's just mm-hmm. a chilled whiskey and water, which I kind of like. And Absolutely. so the scotch, the whiskey stones don't necessarily chill it anywhere near as much as ice. Um, but they, I don't know. They look cool, I guess. <laughs> bit, bit I had, I had got some as a gift and I did not like them. Um, yeah. And I don't know if they're an exact one-to-one, that I, the ones that I got, because they were, I don't know. They were essentially just cold stones. You put, like, they're shaped like cubes. You yeah. keep them in your freezer, and yeah. you put them in your drinks. Yeah. I didn't like them because they hit my teeth. And, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and then I also, the same thing you like. I like my whiskey slightly watered down. Yeah. So I do like the second drink that you get with the melted ice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, for, for whiskey newbies, you can basically order your whiskey three ways. You can order it neat, which means nothing, just the whiskey in the glass. You can order it on the rocks, which means you're throwing some ice in there. And you can order a whiskey and water where they just give you some water that you can pour into the whiskey. It adds volume. It's basically like American coffee. You take the same stuff and you add water and then you get more volume out of it. It's great. So you have more to sip on. Um, and it's still the same amount of whiskey in the end. I can't remember if it was you that I talked about this. Um, somebody asked somebody something. <laughs> it was, okay. uh, oh, you know what it was? It was on a podcast. Um, Whiskey Ginger. It is uh, uh, Andrew, or Andrew, goodness gracious. Uh, I've also been drinking. Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay. That's exactly who it is. Um, stand by one second. Andrew, Andrew Santino. So okay. it's called Whiskey Ginger because he usually drinks whiskey with people on the air. And he's a ginger. So it's called Whiskey okay. Ginger. Gotcha. And they were talking about uh, the way to drink a scotch. And so he was talking to someone that works at a distillery. And it's like, okay, so what's the correct way to drink scotch or whiskey? And uh, they were like, the correct way is however you like to drink it. Totally. That's yeah. the correct way. So Absolutely. If, if you're listening to this, there is no wrong way. If you like it neat, you like it neat. That means you like it kind of room temperature, um, you know, no no ice, no cooling, no watered down. But if you yeah. like it that way, if you want to take the edge off of it, yeah, feel free to add that ice. Feel free to add that water. 
Yeah, and there and another thing too that you know I, I can't remember who the guy's name is, but he's the guy that did a ton of. I think he did Whistle Pig as a bourbon, and then he okay. also does Metallica's Blackened bourbon. Um, so he's a very well known guy. I think he passed away, but he's like a bourbon god, and you know because there are snobs everywhere, there are snobs in the whiskey fandom that basically say why would you have some amazing single malt or some amazing thing and then pour it into a coke right why would you ruin that by making it uh basically like a you know what bourbon and coke whiskey and coke whatever and this guy whoever you know again i forget his name but he basically said you do whatever you want man like it's it's yours you're enjoying right. whiskey. So if you want to enjoy it and you want to take the fanciest whiskey in the world and you want to pour it into a Coke or a Diet Coke, then do it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no wrong way to do this. You right. Know? So, do you anyway. enjoy it with the Coke? Okay. Yeah. Th- then yeah. it's just as enjoyable. Do you exactly. like to read your comics and throw them in the trash? I don't recommend it. But if you're into that, go ahead and do it. Do you like to bag and board them? Do that, too. If you like to s- spread the wealth, read it, and then hand it to a kid or something, good on you. There's there's do multiple ways to do everything. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, so my Comic-Con theory is this. I was actually going to ask you about 30 minutes ago if um, if Wednesday was lousy. And the reason is because people don't go to preview night to hit up the small press section. They no, go because they want to buy they want to buy four Avengers helicarriers so they can mark them up 600% in their fucking store. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they want to use it as trade leverage. So I think that Wednesday, preview night, is when everybody's trying to get their their damn exclusives. Thursday is a little bit more puzzling on why that wasn't great. Friday being great makes sense. And Saturday being a um, a down day also makes sense. Because Saturday is always the big movie studio day. And Saturday is the day where like you're going to get the most people who are not necessarily comic fans, but comic property fans. They're here because they want to hang out in Hall H all day or something right. like that. And again, hey, if that's how you enjoy the con, that's how you enjoy the con. But I think it does make sense to me that Friday and Sunday would be the great days and that Wednesday and uh, Saturday would probably be the worst days because people are there for other reasons. You know? Yeah, absolutely um, so anyway. right. Now, toy scumbags, you can all go to hell. <laughs> you know, but... <laughs> Unless you love this podcast, then you can... Uh... Even Go even to our if you podcast. okay, look. If you're a toy scumbag and you love this podcast, then continue to love this podcast. Just like rethink your life choices a little bit. That's what um, I'm really asking. Yeah, Saturday definitely people were in Hall H. They're waiting in lines. They're doing panels. So yeah, it makes sense to me, but but also doesn't because with all of my years of experience at conventions as a fan and as a uh, you know uh, exhibitor. Saturdays have been usually pretty awesome. So it's only mm. in the last few years where I've really felt the difference in the Saturdays. I mean, hell, even Phoenix Fan Fusion, um, you know, Saturday sucked for me. And then Sunday was gangbusters. <laughs> I was questioning my life. Saturday you know? was like attack, attack of the bags of dicks for you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say it was like missile command, but it was just bags of dicks descending <laughs> from the sky. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, but, it was rough. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but uh, some of the stuff that, that came out um, of San Diego, I got to see a couple of buddies, a couple of wrestling buddies, actually, that, you know, they're, they've long been since retired um, uh, before me even. 
and they've on, moved on to jobs that have them in the comic industry. So it's just kind of fun, like it, to a degree. One guy is straight up works for Marvel. Um, uh, my buddy JC, shout out. He always hooks it up. He always gets these, gives me these cool gifts that he gets. You know, like as as someone that works the shows or works works the shows, works the movies. Um, he does a multitude of jobs. He's just like a jack of all trades for Marvel. So uh, he gave me this killer uh, Thor Love and Thunder hoodie. And when I opened it, I had no clue what it was because it was some kind of owl logo with, with alien writing around it in a circle. And it looked cool as hell. And I was just like, thanks, man. This is really cool. And then uh, he gave my, my buddy Travis a beanie, which had the same logo. But it also said Love and Thunder. And I was like, oh, fuck, is this the Thor hoodie? You know, mm. so and then I flipped it over. And sure enough, on the front, it said Thor, Love and Thunder. And nice. uh, he goes, I could tell you didn't know what it was. And I was like, dude, I still don't know what it what it is. Like, I've, yeah. I've seen the movie and I'm trying to figure it out. Turns out uh, right at the beginning of the movie, there is a group there and that's their logo. And then oh. so like found it on Google. Uh, shout out nice. Ian. Ian actually found it for me because I was like, hey, how do you reverse Google an image? And um so he did it, but he couldn't find anything. He just kind of started looking stuff up, and he found that bit of dialogue. And I was like, oh, okay. I know exactly where that's from now. Um, so, yeah, I got to see some friends. Uh, another one of my friends, uh, Tommy, he actually works for Konami. And Tommy Konami. And, yeah. uh, that's so, why they hired him. Yeah, he 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 got me a, a cool piece of swag, too. It was a Konami commission T-shirt by Kevin Eastman. So Kevin okay. Eastman did a panel with them. And so they commissioned him a few pieces, and one of them was a Konami design shirt. So I think the the pattern, the design of the logo, it's the Konami logo, but inside of it, it's drawing of teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So it's nice. pretty badass. Um, I was actually wearing that on the last day. So if you go to my social media, you'll see posts of me wearing that shirt. It, it's awesome. Um, nice. But I, I also got some commissions while I was there. I wasn't even advertising. And um, we got lucky because the booth next to us they didn't show up and the booth next to them also didn't show up for preview night. So on Thursday, um, and here, had, and here I am begging to get into fucking San Diego comic-con begging. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and assholes don't show up, but I don't, oh, man, yeah, there continue. were some spots for sure. So, um, so Thursday rolls around, we see a guy, we're like, okay, the people next to us showed up and, uh, cause his stuff was all over the table next to us. Turns out he was on. He was the other table. He goes, "Is this your table?" And I was like, "No, no, we're we're on this one. We thought that was your." T-. He goes, "No, no, I, I was gonna move my stuff." I was like, "Oh, we're good. You know, don't worry about it." And then um, he's just like, "Hey, I, I heard this guy isn't gonna show up," and I was like, "Oh, why?" And then he goes, "I, I heard he got sick," and I was like, "Oh, okay." He goes, "Why don't mm-hmm. you take up half of the table? I'll take up half of the table. We'll just use it." And I was like, okay, we'll just kind of set something up. I was like, I don't know. You know, it's it's only Thursday. And he goes, dude, it's Thursday. He goes, if he's going to show up, he's going to show up. Why would he not show totally. up on Thursday? San Diego Comic-Con, man. What do you yeah. show up for Saturday? Yeah. Right. I was just like, in my head, though, I'm like, maybe there was a flight delay. You know, something like yeah. that. Maybe he couldn't get off for work on the Thursday and he was going to show maybe up on the Friday. Maybe he got COVID. <laughs> right. Maybe he got COVID. And I think that's yeah. what actually what happened. So, um we take up half of the booth. It actually works out because we were able to spread out half an extra table. And uh, the guy said something clever and and it was just like, oh, yeah, that's that's true. He goes, what they're going to do is they're going to know that this guy doesn't show up. They're going to assess the situation. They're going to come down and they're going to see that we've overtaken the spot. What they don't want is empty spots. So as Mm -hmm. long as the spots getting used, if they're trying to fill spots, they're just going to fill another spot. 
And yeah. I was like, fair enough. All right, let's take it out. And that's exactly what happened. No one ever came and bothered us. We had half of an extra table and we used that spot to put out a portfolio and draw. So that actually um, attract people looking for commissions. So I, I took on three commissions while I was there. It was pretty good. I was able to knock three of them out. Basically every single night I was up working. I was working during the show and I was up working to finish the projects or those commissions. And then Sunday was the one day where I actually got to sit there and like not draw. Like I actually got to try to sell books and everything like that. But luckily Travis was there and he was freaking gangbusters. He was doing something that I personally wouldn't do um, and I've never done uh, to the degree that he does it. I do I do talk to people that are walking by, but I do wait for the eye contact and I say, hey, how you doing? And then, um, you know, I go into whatever if, if they kind of stop for a second. And uh, Travis is just like, just... <laughs> Hey, do you want to hear about our books? Like, just like carnival right. barking almost to a degree. It's not exact carnival barking because he's behind the table, but he's definitely getting the attention of people in the middle of the aisle that's not looking at us. And um, that's just not a thing I would do. But man, it translated to sales. It was working okay. like gangbusters. They're like, oh, okay. So they would stop and he would tell them about all of our books. And then, um, you know, more or less, they would either buy it or they wouldn't buy it. But mm -hmm. it did it did actually accumulate, and uh, we got a lot more more sales that way. And it was kind of awesome to see him work. So um, he was a little rusty initially because he hasn't done a convention since COVID. We all were, yeah, yeah. Where you and I, we've done a couple. You know, we've done a couple of conventions since COVID, but this is his very first one. I'm I'm still rusty on my first and second sales every single convention. Every oh, single yeah. convention, it always yeah. takes one or two for me to get the rust off. And I generally fumble through it and somehow make the sale anyway. And I'm like, boy, what a <laughs> fucked up botched attempt that was. But somehow I got a sale out of it, despite me fucking up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so anyway, we did great sales. I got some commissions and I saw some friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. I get to see them basically every San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, Tommy, I get to see one at least once a year. We do a... Uh, a group of friends we do a we call it the bachelor party reunion tour um one of our buddies got married and like this is kind of the group that went and so like every year like around labor day if not on labor day we like to hang out so i get to see tommy there but it was nice seeing other people that i don't get to see very often and it was a nice successful nice. Uh, convention rock on man that's awesome yeah. that's um awesome. the last thing i got um because you don't have anything else right no the last thing i got and uh uh it is, I'm working on the slipcase cover art for Second Shift. Um, it's going to be on the next Kickstarter. The next Kickstarter is going to be for the second volume of Second Shift, the second trade paperback. Uh, but I'm also including the slipcase cover into one of the tiers. And then I'll also have it for like individual purchase, I think, like a, as an add-on or something. But it is a wraparound cover. And the first, the front is done. And the second or the back cover is 75% done. So all of the characters are laid out. All of the um, thin lined art is complete. Now it's just time to add the line weights and then work on like the rubble on the ground to connect the front and the back and then do all of the um, uh, indicia stuff, you know, add the title to the spine and all of that. So we're at the home stretch of that. And then right after I'm done with that, I got to flat it and then I'll send that to Joaquin. But seeing the finish line on this is absolutely fantastic. I've been working on it for a few months in my spare time. Um, as you guys have heard on this pod, we're very busy people. I stay busy. So the fact that I've been able to focus a little more on this now that San Diego Comic Con has passed, um, it's definitely ramping up and we're at the home stretch. 
Okay, all right. So we're we're going a little long here, but we still wanted to give you some of that bringing the bullshit. It's I know it's your guys' favorite part of the show. It might not be, but it might be. Who knows? Um, it might be. Bullshit. It might be Tim Radecki's if we talk about basketball. It depends. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> talk about the uh, summer league. Yeah, but I don't have basketball. Uh, so you know, again, we're gonna. I guess we're gonna condense our bullshit a little bit and just have carryover bullshit next week. So I I want to have one combined thing on bullshit here. Okay. Okay. So, these are some travel tips for people. This is a double travel tip with one dose of bullshit. Number one, if you ever have the option to fly WestJet, which is a Canadian lower-cost airline, don't. (laughs) Okay, that's thing number one. That's thing number one. On a related note, if you ever have the option of connecting in Toronto Airport, That is airport code YYZ. But to me, it's TCF. And I'm going to tell you why in a second. But you can probably guess. If you ever have the option of flying out of through Toronto Airport, don't. (laughs) Okay. So Toronto's airport code is YYZ. It's Toronto Pearson International Airport. But to me, the airport code is TCF. Because it is the Toronto clusterfuck. It is the shittiest... (laughs) most fucked up process airport that I can, I I've, I've ever come across. Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to tell one story. Okay. Now I know, I know what the answer is here. Okay. The answer is government customs bureaucracy, but that doesn't make the answer right. Okay. So we checked a bag. We checked bags from Edinburgh through Toronto to Los Angeles because Hey, it was cheap. Okay. We get off the plane in Edinburgh. So what do we have to do? So you would think that if you're flying from Edinburgh through Toronto to LAX, your bags would be checked through to LAX, right? Wrong. Wrong. Because governments have to be bureaucratic and fucked up. So what we had to do was we had to pick up all of our bags at the carousel at Toronto Airport. And then we had to walk those things all the way down a very long hallway. By the way, did I mention I'm, I was with my 75-year-old mother-in-law who oh. had walked her ass off. She had walked her ass off for nine days and Toronto Airport did her in, <laughs> okay? Like, that was when her ankle finally gave and we had to wrap it that night. So you have to walk all the way through. And then, after claiming your bags, you have to walk all the way through and then go up a level. And then you have to walk all the way back. And there's no way of getting up there conveniently. You have to walk all the way down. And then you have to walk, go up and walk all the way back and above because then you have to go to the place where you recheck your bag for the United States. And you better get that right because you can't check United States bags in another area because then you'll end up like just probably getting detained or something. I don't even know. So then we take our bags over there. Of course, they don't work. And of course, we have to have an an agent help us out and basically manually override us so that we can actually check our goddamn bags through the night before and not have to wake up at five in the morning the next day to do the same goddamn thing. We put the bags through. They ask us basically one question, like, are you Keith Foster? And I'm like, yes. And then the bag goes through. So... I'm going to pause it right here. Why the (laughs) fuck did we need to do any of that? We didn't need to do one fucking thing of that, 
right? You could have just routed them from one plane to another. And I know there's probably some stupid customs law on like, you know, what you have to do in the meantime is declare like, do you have more than $50 worth of stuff to, to, to pay taxes on? Because you have more than 50, you got to pay taxes. Why? There's no fucking way, friend, that I have more than $50 worth of shit. Okay. I've been in the UK for nine days and I've bought a lot of stuff, but I can tell you with confidence that it's $49 worth of stuff. <laughs> so no, no, there's nothing to tax here. Okay. Um, so anyway, so that's that night. We then, um, and if you're a Canadian customs person, then I'm not kidding. It really was $49 worth of stuff. Um, so then we get there the next day. We it's arrived, too late, bitch. We're here. Yeah, exactly. We, arri- <laughs> we arrived two and a half hours before our flight, right? No problem. No problem. Two and a half hours is a breeze. <laughs> Uh, an hour 15 it takes us to get through security. An hour 15. Holy hell. And then after security, what I didn't know at the time was we had to go through customs. So after security, once you gather yourself, you have to scan your boarding pass. And your boarding pass tells you whether to go to door number two or door number three. Presumably door number two is for people where we have to ask you a question before we escort you to the scot-free, no questions area of door number three. So the line for door number two is wrapped around so much that it blocks door number three. So I stand 30 feet away and I hold up three fingers to the person guarding door number three, at which time she yells back at me and says, three and two are both two. Okay, so this is where I start to grouse out loud. And I say, then why the fuck did you tell me to go to three? Why not have every boarding pass just say two? when it scans you know what i mean so we then we then wait in in this long wraparound line through door two and it turns out that it is just what they've done is room two is just the beginning of the line that leads into the larger room three so we are sitting there like my wife and i like there was a period where i bitched and i bitched so much that my wife was like just can you stop talking right (laughs) and i was like okay okay read the room keys shut the fuck up for like five minutes right but then at the end of that five minutes, my wife's like, you think we're going to make it? <laughs> and and of course, I had been calculating. I'm like, I think we are barely going to make it. I think we are going to walk up to our gate at like 1020 in the morning for a 1025 flight. So we continue to wrap around. I'll, I'll race to the end. We did get there at 1020 exactly for a 1025 flight, which then got delayed 30 minutes because uh, regarding WestJet sucks. <laughs> right. So yeah. so it ended up being not that big a deal. But uh, so this whole thing was just a nightmare. And, and, you know, it's like bank lines, right? Like security lines at the airport, lines at the DMV, bank lines. They don't operate on standard time. No. Because eight minutes in a bank line feels like an hour because you can't think of anything but getting through this line. So imagine two one hour plus waits where all you are doing is obsessing over how long this line is taking because you have a flight to catch. So that was unpleasant. One minor fun thing that comes out of it. This guy behind me, I hear him on the phone, and I think randomly I start talking about stuff. And I think he must have heard me make a basketball reference or something. So he starts talking to me about basketball. And he says, who's, your, who's the greatest player of all time? And he had been talking to his son, I think, on the phone. I think I'd overheard him. His son probably plays basketball in high school or something. Mm-hmm. So he says, who's your favorite? Who's the greatest player of all time? And I'm like, well, to me, it's Michael Jordan. He's like, I right. agree. He's like, who's the second greatest player of all time? And I'm like, well, to me, it's LeBron James. And he's like, to me, it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I'm like, hey, we're just 
we're just picking nits here up in the top 10, man. You can give a whole lot of answers to number two, and I'm yeah. okay with a lot of them. You could give me Kobe Bryant. You could give me Tim Duncan. I mean, I don't quite think they're two, but you know, you can make a case for them, man. When we're in the top 10, we are in super rarefied air. So we mm-hmm. proceed to chop it up on basketball. Then he talks about how like he's flying to Florida to see his son. He used to kick his son's ass at basketball, and now his son's ready to kick his ass, but he thinks he's going to fake an injury once he goes down 9 nothing because they're playing to 10. <laughs> Because he doesn't want his son to beat him and all this stuff. And then casu- <laughs> casually, funny. yeah, I know, right? Casually at all this, um, he happens to mention, so we, he starts talking boxing a little bit. I'm like, okay, boxing. So I know a little bit about boxing and we just have some fun talking about boxing. He's like, by the way, I'm an Olympic bronze medalist. <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. His, so I look him up. I ended up taking a photo with him. His name is Chris Johnson. He was a 1992 middleweight boxing bronze medalist. You can look him up right now. And that's the dude that I had been striking up a conversation with for like 30 minutes behind me in the customs line going through Toronto. So that was was the one silver lining about my time in TCF, which was just generally a nightmare. So anyway, that was a lot of bullshit to bring. Just just remember the takeaways. Don't fly WestJet and don't go through Toronto if at all possible. And make sure you talk to bronze medal Olympians. And if you're, but if you're going to be there, then by all means, strike up about conversations about basketball with bronze medal Olympians. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, um, it's actually reminds me of a, a, a little bit of a conversation I had with uh, my buddy Kyle Kaminsky. And uh, he does a book called The Resistance. He does a few things. Uh, uh, Sophia Saturn, I believe, is another one. And um, so he was a couple of tables down from me. He was next to us at San Diego uh, 2019. And... Um, as I mentioned on this podcast, I used to wrestle. There was a couple people um, at the show from wrestling, as is, you know, usually happens. A lot of a lot of wrestling and comic fans. It's there's a crossover there, and so this guy was talking to Kyle, and you know, he brings up wrestling for whatever reason, and then Kyle goes, "Oh yeah, there's actually a comic creator over there. He used to be a pro wrestler," and the guy's like, "Oh, what's his name?" And he goes, "Scott Lost." And the guy freaked out and he goes, the Scott Lost, the professional Scott Lost. Hell and Kyle's yeah. like, um, yeah, yeah, he's he's right there. <laughs> and then, and uh, so the guy comes over and he's ecstatic and whatever. Um, he ends up going to the panel, I believe. Um, he ends up picking a whole bunch of books up from me. So it was kind of a nice interaction. But then uh, Kyle comes over, uh, I don't know how, how much longer later. And he goes, hey, man, I didn't know you were like famous, famous. And I was just like. Yeah, I was I was kind of indie famous as as a professional wrestler. I was pretty well known. And he goes, "Yeah, that guy was freaking out once I told him, you know, you're right there." So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was n- nice. no bronze medal or anything, but uh, you know, uh wrestling indie famous. Um yeah, so okay, I have a combination of bullshit to bring. I'll just make it quick. Number 1 is just a recommendation on books. If you guys have not read it, you guys should be reading it. 8 Billion Genies. It's by Image Comics. I believe they're on issue 3. Um you can get that cover price i'd imagine if you go to your local comic shop it hopefully should be there um i know socal comics had a good good amount of them i don't know if they still have issue one but there was a good amount of them there i didn't start reading it until a couple of days ago highly recommended the art isn't exactly my flavor it's solid it's consistent throughout and that's what you want with your art um you know it's not exactly my flavor but it definitely does its job and the way they depict the genies is super super cool um, so it is, the premise is out of nowhere, everyone on earth gets their own genie and they get one wish. 
And so it kind of takes you through the process. It goes eight seconds after everyone getting a genie. And then it just kind of, it's a picture of the globe and it shows you the population of humans and it shows you the population of genies. And then it goes for like eight minutes later, eight hours later, you know, like it, like that's where we're at. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. It's It's definitely a fun read. You guys should check that out. My other bullshit to bring is I read Infinite Kung Fu number one. Mm. How'd you get hold of that? Um, Ed let me borrow them. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah. So last time Ed was down. Oh, no, no. It was at your place. Last time okay. we hung out. Remember, he brought a couple of boxes yes. of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of those things was Infinite Kung Fu 1, 2, and 3. Um, those are his. He's just letting me borrow them. So I was able to read the first one. And man, it is so different than what I thought it was going to be. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something a little bit more rough because that's kind of your flavor. You mm-hmm. kind of like this like rough, rougher style yeah, and like less polished. But the Infinite Kung Fu is very polished. It's like almost almost looks computer generated like how yeah. clean it looks yeah. and so yeah i was kind of shocked when i opened it i was like this is far from what i was expecting from one of keith's favorite comic books of all time mm-hmm. um but it was cool there was a couple of techniques there that i was like i can use that i can totally use that technique and i'll i'll, I'll take a picture of the panel and i'm gonna send it your way i don't know when i'm gonna use it but i'm gonna use it it's a very oh, simple yeah. thing that he does but i was like man that's pretty cool that really conveys this emotion that this character is giving off Nice. Uh, and then I got to see the uh, credits page where you're like, he's recommend he's recommending uh, kung fu movies, and he goes, okay, yeah. well, if it's this guy's face, it sucks. If it's this guy's face, yeah. it's good. And yeah. then so he just kind of goes through and gives you a synopsis and his like what he thinks of each one, and I, I thought that was super rad. Yeah, man. Yeah. Again, like I told you, I I hope that I'm able to uh, replicate that in one of the issues of Kadoja Volume Four, or maybe Three Protectors, or something like that, because I think it's so great. You know? Yeah. So yeah, man. And again, Bendis did that uh, with AKA Goldfish, and possibly oh, okay. with, with some of his other. Bendis would go on forever. He had like a page of letters and then five pages of rantings on like all the music he was listening to movie recommendations, all that stuff. I love that kind of shit. I just need to have the time to do it. In fact, if I have an extra page, I don't, I can't remember if I do or not, but I, if I have an extra page for Kadoja symphony of madness one, I think I'll throw something together. Cause I just love that shit so much. You know, it's a great way of like knowing the creator and it's a great way of adding value to the price you paid for your comic book to just really get recommendations, you know, con- like movie reviews whatever it's going to be right so that's cool man that's awesome yeah i love i love that extra stuff and yeah him putting that together was super rad to see and that's that's why i like doing those extra pieces of art in the back it's just like yeah i want i want to give you guys the main story that's what you guys paid for but if i can give you like a little bit extra i'm going to if i can yeah man i'm with you i'm with you cool all right, we went super long on this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That is S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. And then Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, for me on Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore Invader. That is me sharing some books I'm reading. Um, I might be throwing up photos. I might be, I'm always throwing up every now and then. Obviously, um, Skundoja art, Three Protectors art, the comics I do. And uh, hey, if you like my stories, then you'll know that uh, there's a whole lot more golf shit going on because I'm kind of back into the golf bug. In fact, I just bought a retro set of irons that is basically a slightly different version of the irons that I played for about 25 years of my life. I just bought them yesterday, actually, and took them out on the range this morning. And they're cool. They look like fucking buried treasure because they're irons. They're irons that are plated in copper. 
So they're sick as fuck, man. They, it was it was fun to hit them. I'm going to play around with them tomorrow, so we'll see how they go. But anyway, so, hey, that's me. And then there's also at Kadoja Kaiju, which is all things giant monsters, and very little of me, just all giant monsters. And you can get my books, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at AccidentalAliens.com. We also have Tales from the Mothership over there, as well as the Accidental Alien Anthologies and other merchandise. So if you want t-shirts and all of that, stickers, those are also there for you. AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah. And then for me, it's KeithRFoster.com. There is a web store with, you know, updated versions of the products you can get from me that are still in stock, obviously. There are blog posts and there's some information on Kadoja and on three protectors, my two properties as of the moment. Obviously, as we go forward and more things get added, then you can expect them to get added to the site, too. So KeithRFoster.com. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, give us uh, an email. Shoot us an email. Go to our um, social medias, any of the stuff we just told you about. There's the Making Comics Podcast at Gmail. Let us know how we're doing, if there's anything that you want us to talk about, something that we've talked about. You're like, hey, that's not right. Here's here's the right way to do that. And then we'll argue about it on, on the air. So uh, yeah. makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and on that note, we did get some feedback from Lynn Workman and from Gary Hodges on the Lawrence of Arabia question. Yes, I completely spaced until now. Yeah, and and while and look, while I think I think the reason those comments were prompted is because Scott and I sort of clumsily got their way got our way there because we were dealing in real time with the stuff. Um but Gary and Lynn both made the same point that like Lawrence of Arabia also means kind of think epic is is the way that I I think I'm I'm doing a two-word summary there of what they were both saying. Right, yes. General Hospital is small stage thinking, and Lawrence of Arabia is large stage thinking. I am personally of the opinion that any any decent comic probably um, thinks of a balance between the two. You are going to need close shots, but then again, Lawrence of Arabia has close shots too. So yeah. yeah, it's again think think epic and be epic as much as possible because that's what comics are here for. They're not here for boring everyday droll stuff. That's uh yeah. Yeah, and Gary included some screenshots from Lawrence Arabia, and man, they're fantastic. The composition was excellent, so I think I think that's also one of the things where you're doing, um, you know, daily soap opera. You're not exactly thinking of composition all that months, all that much. Whereas Lawrence of Arabia was really well thought out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and hey. Speaking of correspondence, we we all know what's coming next, right? If you've listened this far, then you know that it's time for me to tell you the following. One, give us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Two, give us five stars on Spotify. Three, give us five stars on Yelp. Four, on McDonald's, if they have an app for how good your fucking Big Mac was, I want you to give us five stars. Five, give us five stars in your hearts. Six, take five stars, those fucking glow stars that you give like eight-year-olds, and I want you to put them on your ceiling, and I want you to put Making Comics Podcast after them and write that on your ceiling so that when the glow shit goes on, you're going to remember the five-star podcast experience that you are getting. And and whatever number I'm on now, speaking of the five-star podcast experience, <laughs> if you have records by the Jimi Hendrix experience, I want you to cross out Jimi Hendrix on that record, and I want you to put the five-star podcast experience, and I want you to put pictures of Scott and I on those Jimi Hendrix records, okay? Look, I drank a beer and I had a lot of scotch. <laughs> 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 and so here we are. We're a hundred we minutes are. in, and I'm just getting dumber and dumber by the second. 
We'll see you guys next week. All right, man. Yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>